0: Hey gang, welcome to another episode of Value Added, the real estate podcast. I'm really excited about this week's episode. We're chatting with Jerome Myers. Jerome is a Greensboro, North Carolina based multifamily investor. He is also the founder of Myers Methods that we'll learn about in this episode. Finally, Jerome is the co-host along with Logan Freeman of their new podcast called Compression. The journey to hundred million dollars of real estate in a year so without further ado let's get on with the show
1: welcome to value added the real estate podcast where we speak with the brightest minds in the world of real estate who provide create and realize value in an ever-changing market and now your host nick walters
2: We professional now, baby.
0: There you we know. go. Big difference. Yeah.
2: How you doing, man? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Same to you, my friend. How are you? Yeah. Same mm-hmm. to you, man. How's everything going? You know, it's 2020. What do you say to that? It's it's great for the <laughs> most part, right? But I think everybody had to do some adjustments and changes. If not, then they had a bulletproof business that uh, I, I need to take some notes on. I was thinking last night, I was looking back in my journal and April was heavy. March and April was like life-shifting for me, for sure. How is that? Like, I I had a 233 and a 66 under contract and both of them fell apart. Hmm. Um, I had a conference that we were doing in March and I couldn't do it. And so all of my revenue for the first quarter vanished. First and beginning of the second quarter vantage. And I didn't have any backup plans, right? I mean, there's cash flow from whatever we own, but those aren't going to be big chunks that will sustain you for the year and allow you to make investments in the business and go buy other deals. So, yeah, I I had to rethink everything, man.
0: Yeah. So, how did you, how did you, I mean, you're, I've known you through, uh, through social media for quite a while now, and um, not only are you a, a successful uh, multifamily investor and an educator, but um, you put a lot of positive vibes out there. Um, how can you how can you get this bad news, especially in the beginning of COVID, and you find out that for whatever reasons you you had to uh, pull the plug on on over 300 units of of acquisitions. How are you able to reflect on that and put it past you and keep rambling on? You can't change it, right? I mean, and this is the thing that
2: I've learned more than anything. Like, I've never been huge on syndication. I've always thought joint ventures was the way to go. And when I saw that happen, where... If I was a total syndicator, like money evaporated. Now there's people in the market who will say they had the exact opposite. Like Dan Hanford and those guys bought a $50 million deal in April or May, right? They raised like $20 million and they've also got 26,000 people in the multifamily investor nation community. And so they built it up and it's been several years of them building up that model. But for me, like those two deals are going to be joint ventures with people who I hadn't partnered with for the first time or I was partnering with for the first time, and that uh, when you're new to a relationship and you have a significant change in the environment that way, I think it just changes the the goodwill. It's like, well no we're, we're going to pull back, we're going to wait and see and I mean I literally in summertime it's like, okay, you guys ready to go back in it's like we don't want to do anything while people are still wearing masks and you know, when people are well-to-do and they don't have to do the deal, they don't do the deal. And am I to that place yet? No, I still need to do deals. Right. But when I get to that place, I get it. Like wealth preservation or asset preservation is the number one rule of investing and doing something for a potential return in a risky environment is unwise. And, you know, My mentors are those same people who said, hey, don't buy that right now. Wait, because you're going to get in trouble. And I hadn't really thought about it. But there's a lot of people who have bought things over the past two years, including like all of 2020, who aren't going to realize that they made a bad buy until 2024, when they go to liquidate and cap rate compression has relieved. And so that thing that they were going to sell at whatever cap rate they put in their pro forma doesn't exist anymore. And so now to get out of the deal, they either have to get into some debt that maybe they don't want, or they have to write a check to sell it to somebody else. And everybody looks like a genius on the go in. And there's so much celebration about closing the deal on social media and all this other stuff. But if you don't operate it well, and if you don't get to the exit, you have no idea how well that asset actually did. And that for me, that learning was more valuable than the money in the pocket, and so I think I, at the end of the day, that's where I, I land. Is I stopped doing stuff for money, Nick, and so it's like, okay, well, that revenue disappeared. We're going to pivot and figure out how we can make a big impact for a bunch of people, and if we do that, then the money will follow.
0: So let's take let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, yes, I mean it, it, the first step of of the. The deal cycle is the purchase, uh, and that is the most important part. Um, but especially if if you're a value add investor, which we know a lot of those out there, the the close the buy is is the easy part. Then you have to get into the asset management part of of making sure that all of the pieces of the puzzle are in place, and uh, you're not only putting the value into that asset that you just spent. A year working on, but you also have to put the necessary capital into that property to to realize the uh, the the potential cash flow of that property. So how do you how do you uh, manage your your uh, your asset once you close on a property? Yeah, I I think it's interesting
2: that you said that the buy is the most important. I don't actually think the buy is the most important piece. I think operations is the most important piece and it's because it requires so much consistency. I think people are good at like bursts, right? They're sprinters, but being a marathoner, which I think is what this thing is, is where the game is really won. You know, you spend six months in acquisition mode and then 60 months owning the deal in some form or fashion, whether you refi or whatever else you do to take the business plan full cycle. Um, And so how do we manage it? We're intense on the data. I was a Six Sigma master black belt when I was in corporate America. And so I did a lot of data analytics. And so we got this fancy smancy dashboard. We look at stuff mostly on a per unit basis instead of overall, because we feel like you can make some operational decisions that because it's that resolution that others can't, and it also allows you to compare multiple properties instead of just looking at gross numbers. One of the great things that the syndicators enjoy is they talk about the economy of scales, and you know, let's go 300, let's go 200, whatever it is, because there's more NOI, and then there's more fee available because the purchase price is larger. But I think you can get a higher percent return on smaller deals less money invested, which I think decreases your risk. And then being able to force rents will get you to a higher number quicker just because you're able to raise the NOI on a percent basis quicker than you could driving a big old ship. So that's why we focus on the smaller properties. And I think that also has some challenges though, to, to the point that I think a lot of people would bring up on this is, You know, you don't have on-site property management if it's under 100 units more often than not. But if you can structure it where you have multiple properties in the same area, we like one city, Greensboro, North Carolina, then you can get a person dedicated to your respective properties and that from a property management standpoint. And then you can share resources from the actual maintenance and operations piece. And I think those things lead to a competitive advantage. Whether people are really seeing that, or agreeing with that, or accepting that in the marketplace is something different. But it's something that we believe.
0: So let's talk about joint ventures for a second. Um, I've spoken to a lot of syndicators out there. Syndic, multifamily syndication is essentially pooling other other people's money uh, to acquire asset that probably can't be taken down by one or two sources of capital. So you take a little different uh, strategy with your. Uh, with structuring a deal in, in terms of uh, partnering with another, uh, partnering with an operator in the form of a joint venture, explain to me your strategy and why you uh, structure your deals in a joint venture fashion versus a syndication fashion.
2: I think the biggest piece of it is I want to own more of the deal. It doesn't excite me to own one percent of a two hundred unit property. I rather own thirty percent of a twenty unit. Now. Does that mean anything at the end of the day? I don't know. But what I do know is that we're playing with equity. And so if I buy a deal that's $800,000 and we've got 200 in it and I can figure out a way to raise the value of that property to 1.2 million, my 200 just turned into 600 because of that $400,000 of equity that we created. And because I own a bigger piece of the pie, more of that money comes back to me. Um, I don't like complicated waterfalls. And so our deals are straight splits. We decide what it is and your cash buys a certain piece of it. And then if you've done some of the other stuff that makes the deal possible, like signing the loan or getting the actual deal under contract and negotiated, then those things will win you some equity. Um, I think I really like this approach because it's where I had to start. Like I grew up the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. Right. We didn't have doctors and attorneys and uh, engineers coming over to the house for dinner. So I didn't know any accredited investors until I was working. Right. And then when I left corporate America and started real estate, that's when I actually met people who were actually like really wealthy. And, you know, the people who build the biggest portfolios, like one of my mentors, Pankaj Sharma, he's got a 2000 door portfolio that he owns by himself. It doesn't, you don't get that by syndicating. And that piece for me is important. Like I love corporate to build equity, not to return value to the shareholders. And for me, that's what a syndication is. The returning value to the shareholders is the most important thing. These people put money in. Most of us are retirement dollars. They put it in and they want to return on their money. With a joint venture, we can come in, we can have a group meeting and say, hey, here's what's happening. COVID is a great example. Here's what's happening because of COVID. What do we want to do with these people? Do we want to see if they can ride it out? Do we want to see if they can catch up? Do we want to put them on the street? Like, what's the right thing for this property and this ownership group? And having that level of flexibility is really valuable for me because I don't think it's always about how much money you can return to the group. I think there are some things that are worth more than money. And I think we get rewarded when we do those things. the right
0: way. Do you have a stable of, of joint venture partners that you work with, or do you have one or two that you work with regularly? Tell me a little bit about who, um, uh, you know, ha- how you're structuring deals and how many parties are, are involved uh, when you're putting a deal together.
2: Yeah. I mean, my, my friend, coach, long time confidant, James Bryan has been in just about every deal that I've done, if not every deal that I've done. And I mean, He brings a a nice net worth and he's an engineer by training. He's actually got his doctorate in engineering. So super conservative guy, does a lot with the modeling and really looking for ways to mitigate the risk. Because, I mean, anytime, you know, you're on the loan, there's you're putting your balance sheet at risk. And so he's more conservative to me than me. And he helps with us negotiating and getting great deals. And so, you know, I'll stop there because, like, it was he that came up with the idea of Myers Methods. And this is our four step approach. And here's how we actually create value for the people and really putting up this hallmark of it is really, really, really about making an impact with your investment, right? Sure. I can go to the stock market, put my money and get seven, eight, whatever percent return. But I don't think I'm actually making a difference by doing that versus I can go buy this community, clean it up, get quality housing for people who make the world go around. Retail workers, uh, firefighters, police officers, those folks who are making around the average median income in our communities, but make a huge impact with the work that they do. And give them a solid place to live why wouldn't we want to make a maximum return on the investment and not just you know putting money in our pocket Mm -hmm. and so for me that was super exciting and it was something that got him off his path of being the millionaire next door with you know paid
0: off car paid
2: off home
0: the whole dave ramsey model interesting um you you were born and raised in greensboro you solely invest in greensboro um, I'm sure you know the city like the back of your hand you you probably know a quarter of the people there uh in the city because of of the amount of time that you've spent there um your your social impact strategy um putting capital into these communities that you're buying and managing uh to give people a better place to live uh that social impact strategy how has that um, how has that been the the central part of your strategy um why has it has it be, been because of your uh your close relationship with the city um and giving an opportunity to to give other uh people that um that you know or or don't know or maybe in in neighborhoods that where where you grew up in um is that a is is that a uh, does that paint a pretty good picture of, um, of why you've uh, really centered this social impact strategy into your business plan? I think I, I wish I would, knew that in the beginning. I, I wasn't
2: that thoughtful in the beginning. I was interested in buying apartments because when Duran and I were sitting on the stoop our sophomore year of college, we realized that the guy that owned the complex was making $700,000 a year and we never saw him or talked. And so this guy figured out how to decouple his time for money. We wanted to do the same thing. Now, this was pretty high level student housing. And so it was different than what we do today with workforce housing. But the concept of being separated from trading hours for dollars was really exciting for me. Fast forward, when I got into the first deal and I was walking the property and I saw the condition that the people were living in, And I knew that the vast majority of those issues was because the owner wasn't doing what they were supposed to do. That's when I got really energized on, all right, we need to liberate this property from this person and make the appropriate investments in it so that the people who choose to live in the community that we own can be proud of the place that they live. And they've got equality place to live. Because I mean, at the end of the day, like your home is the environment that you spend the most time in, right? So if you're not taking care of that property, then what are you doing? Like, I feel like you're just mistreating. It's kind of like, you know, tying up a dog when the sub freezing weather and just leaving Mm -hmm. them out there. Like, that's not the way it works. And Penn always says, you got to love on the property and the property will love on you. And I agree with them. Like if you make the right investments and you're charging an appropriate amount of rent in for the property, you're able to make those investments. And then it's this self-perpetuating cycle where it improves. And the other thing is true as well, or you know, you can charge really low rent, not have enough money to take care of the property and it continue to go down. And I call those alligators, right? If you feed an alligator, it's going to give you poop. If you feed a goose, it's going to lay golden eggs for you, right? And so we want geese, we don't want alligators. And I think that long range, if you if you do this thing the right way and make the appropriate investments, then you'll get something that prints cash for you.
0: So you played football at North Carolina A and T. What was your uh, what was your playing weight? What was your height weight? Tail the tape. Oh man,
2: I, I was six one, and on a good day I was two ten. That was a good day. Two ten. So what position did you play? I. Will we had this hybrid position called an Aggie, and um, it was a safety linebacker hybrid. We ran a three three. Don't don't get me going down this path, man. We <laughs> ran a three three, and so I was one of the guys that moved around. I was supposed to be able to cover and play linebacker, but um, yeah, it, it was it was loads of fun, but it was also a second job. And I realized that I didn't want to play anymore when I got close to graduation.
0: So. Your your career in high school and going into college. Um, how did that that team atmosphere and the the skills uh, that you learned in your competitive days of playing team sports? How did that translate over to your career now with building the necessary teams in this industry and leading and delegating? Um, how is that your teamwork in the early days translated to today?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest part is knowing that you can count on the people on your team, right? I don't want anybody to ever feel like I didn't, wasn't willing to do whatever it took in order to deliver the final result, whatever that desired result was. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing things that they weren't asked to do and to try to save the day. And then because they're off doing something else, the thing that they're supposed to be doing doesn't get done. And that used to drive me crazy as a player as well as a coach. But um, coming full circle, like in business, it's all about the ability to count on the person that's on the team. And so that's what we, we live and kind of die by. You know, I'm going to be the person that you can count on no matter what. And if I can't do it, I'm going to tell you I'm, I can't do it before you expect it to happen so that you can make an alternative plan. And as long as I do those things, I can look myself in the mirror at night and feel good. If I don't do those things, then I struggle quite a bit, and I don't like struggling
0: let's talk a little bit about your Myers methods. Um, this is a uh, a growing platform that you've that you've come up with with your four pillars. Um, how did that come about first and um, where where is it come today? Tell us a little bit about the uh, the Myers methods
2: yeah, so I mentioned James earlier I told him to be quiet the first time he said it. I was like, you're just being ridiculous. He was like, no, no, it's a thing. And so the four pieces are find, fun, fix, and flip. Um, finding the deal is actually deal acquisition, like sourcing. A lot of people don't enjoy that part. It's hard. They just want to look on LoopNet net and then pull it down and look at the financials or get the email from a broker. And that's how they bought their deal. I think the real deals are not there. The deals are really with the owners and people who are ready to retire and have a ton of trapped equity in their property. So we teach people how to find those deals. Then we teach them how to fund them, setting up the partnership, putting together a business plan, and really nailing down whether or not this is something you should actually buy. And that includes going to the bank. And then fixing it is a piece where you spend the most time. And this is the execution of the business plan and making sure that you hold the property manager accountable to the plan that you laid out and making those pivots and adjustments along the way to make sure that you're in great shape so that when it comes time to exit, you, you can do what you wanted to do from a financial performance perspective. So flip it is the final step. And flip it doesn't mean that you have to sell it like flipping a house. Flipping it can be refinancing it. pulling, And we like to pull out all of our original investment when we flip. And then we can redeploy that while keeping the asset and keeping the cash flowing, or you can sell and harvest all the equity, just depending on the business plan and what makes sense for the ownership group. And so we teach people those four steps with the goal of helping more folks get into the multifamily space um, and not feeling like the syndication is the only way to do it.
0: In in your experience with your um, students that you've worked with over over the years, what has been the biggest challenge? for them. Um, they they come to you with the most common problem that you're trying to find a solution or the most common challenge. What is that? It has nothing to
2: do with real estate. It's all mindset. It's all the belief that this thing is here for me and possible for me. And you know, I, I talk a lot about, hey, nobody looks like me on the podcast or nobody looks like me on the stage at a conference because it's something that I hear a lot. And What I want people to really understand is being a multifamily investor doesn't look a certain way. Being a multifamily investor, from my perspective, is somebody who wants to do good in the community and make a profit while doing it. And if those two things make sense for you, then multifamily is for you. And we just got to figure out how to get you there. Uh, I think if we actually move to the four things that every investor, from my perspective, is trying to overcome. One is knowledge. And so some people think that they can go deploy half a million dollars to whatever to buy an asset without having any real knowledge. Or they want to say that they watch videos on YouTube or read a book and they're ready to do it. But if you were starting a plumbing business or something else, like, you wouldn't say that you're ready to go do that the other way. And so I think it's very different from a transaction. And I try to help people get that. Deal flow is the next thing. And so deal flow doesn't matter if you don't have the knowledge because you can't tell the difference between a a lead and a deal. After that experience and people will say, oh, if you got the money, then if you got a deal, then the money will show up. Not in multifamily. You got to have experience. If there's no experience, then the money's not going to come. At least smart money won't come. And then the final one is capital, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can't buy all the deals you want to buy. And so at some point, you're going to have to partner with other people to bring capital to the table. Now, is that syndication form or joint venture? Totally up to you and the way you want to exercise that. But what I can say is the capital, you're going to run out of capital eventually. And so running it backwards, you know, you don't need capital until you have somebody on your team that has experience. You don't need experience until you have a deal and you don't know if you have a deal until you've got some knowledge. And the thing that I think makes a person who hasn't done multifamily valuable is having the deal. It's what's gotten me to the next level at every stage in the venture. And so if you can have enough knowledge to figure out whether it's a lead or a deal, you can present that deal to somebody who has experience, then they'll pull you up to that next level and get you exposure to a whole different stratosphere of investing. And I I think that's the way that it works best because now you're in driver's ed, right? You didn't just get your license. More often than not, you went to driver's ed, you had a course, and then you were in the car, and somebody was over there, and they had their own steer wheel and brakes to keep you from running off a cliff. And if we go back to the conversation we were having at the beginning of this, right, I could have drove off a cliff and bought something that I could never sell, and that would have been a disaster. And I would have spent four or five years not realizing that I made a grave decision that was going to end my multifamily investing career. And that's what I worry about most for everybody. It's not the promise of you're going to get rich by getting a huge acquisition fee that makes mentorship worth it. It's don't do that deal because of these things that you don't know that you don't know. And that keeps you in the game because again, it's a marathon and not a sprint.
0: That's all really great advice. Um, We're going to conclude this episode, Jerome, with the hard-hitting questions. These are the questions that we ask every one of our guests. First thing I always like to ask is, what is your why? Freedom. Pretty good one. What is the uh, most recent or what is the uh, a book or another piece of media that you've consumed recently that's provided significant value to your life or your career?
2: Meditation. I'm spending 30 minutes each morning just in quiet with myself, learning more about what makes me tick and getting
0: everything organized. I like that. Um I about a year ago I read The Miracle Morning and uh it's completely changed my my morning routine. Yeah, it's a good one for sure. Savers. Um how do you like to pay it forward?
2: Coming on podcasts, right? So I used to listen to 40 hours of content every week and You know, I I consumed just about every Michael Blank podcast that was out there trying to get my start. And this is the thing I'll tell your listeners, right? Like, find your person and consume all the content so that you can get something in the end. I didn't do it the right way. I I was listening to the guy from the North, the South, the Mid-Atlantic, the Midwest, and the Far West. And they all had different thoughts and approaches. And then when I was trying to play on my field, like, I was confused. And so if you can find somebody to curate the content for you end to end, do that and then supplement or augment with podcasts and see how those things compare or contrast with the person that taught you how to go end to end.
0: Knowing what you know now, what would you tell your 20, 21-year-old college graduate self? What's the best piece of advice you can give him? Start multifamily now instead of going and working. (laughs) Uh,
2: That is the biggest difference. Had I done that I would be the person that I want to be for my daughters, and I'm still trying to be, I'd be that person right now. and But I I didn't. And so I got a ton of great experiences while working in corporate America, but it all led me back to the same place. And so I probably could have skipped a lot of steps and then just been here and further along on the path.
0: Jerome, how can our listeners learn a little bit more about you and get a hold of you? Yeah,
2: the best way, Nick, is to jump over to MyersMethods.com, M-Y-E-R-S-M-E-T-H-O-D-S.com and grab our four-step guide to getting into multifamily. Uh, We put out a ton of content that's free over there. I mean, if you want to, you can join our community. We've got a weekly meetup and learn more about us and deepen the relationship.
0: Awesome. Jerome, thank you so much for your time. Super grateful for you to come on and, and chat with me. And uh, thanks so much for adding your value today and happy new year. Nick, this was awesome. I appreciate you. Talk soon.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a rating and a review, which will help us introduce the podcast to other listeners. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which will give you access to other episodes you may have missed. Lastly, if you'd like to learn more about investing alongside us, then head on over to valueaddedpodcast.com. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week.